Don't look at me that way. I don't want to hear it. I mean it, Delilah. This whole trip is ridiculous, and you know it. Oh, how's that again? How's 90 miles with my pregnant wife for one? And you're not the smoothest ride ever. No offense. What if she starts contracting on the way? Yes. In fact, I am throwing myself a pity party, and you're invited, so stop complaining about it. Sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, I don't blame you. I blame Caesar and this whole head counting nonsense. The truth is, and I'm only telling you this, under ordinary circumstances, I would love to make the trip back to Bethlehem. I don't see my family again, my my uncles, my cousins, of course, Aunt Yael. But now. <laughs> I supposed to explain all this? Mary, Mary needed an angel to explain it to her. I needed a divine dream to get it. What am I supposed to do when I get to Bethlehem, huh? Break the ice over some matzah? What is my family gonna say when they see Mary and I together and she looks <sighs> because I, way, way back, am related to a king. What do you mean I don't look like I have royal blood? It's true. I'm related to a king. And she is about to give birth to a king. And... You said marry her, so I did. You said name him Jesus, so I will. You said, you said he would be the son of God. Your son, you are too good to us, Lord. What was impossible to believe still seems so impossible. So girl, you will be carrying Mary, and Mary will be carrying the Son of God, and I will be carrying a lot, a lot to process. This little pity party thing stays between us, okay? Jesus born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us, let us find our rest in thee. Turn the light out.
Let's give another hand to these amazing entertainers. And I'm sure you have not had enough yet. So they actually will be coming back a little later for an encore. And we're excited to see that. So thank you, you guys, for your songs. And we'll see you in a little bit. Would you stand with us as we sing this Christmas carol? Join the 
Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. It's a special morning every year when we do this where we mix both crowds together. It would be our Sunday children's crowd with our Seven Seas family as well. If you are here from the Seven Seas family, would you just raise your hand right now? Yeah, absolutely. Well, welcome to, welcome to Camarillo Community Church. We are so glad uh, uh, to have you. Thank you so much for entrusting us with your children. We know that's not a small thing. And uh, we just happen to have the probably best uh, ever in the world created uh, director for early childhood in, uh, in Elaine. And I know you all love her, and we love her too. I would just like to say welcome to our church. If you don't know who I am, my name is David Hurtado. And if you don't have a home church, we want to let you know that you're like family to us. And so uh, we want to definitely welcome you. I know that all of you are not necessarily see, here to see me today. I get that. I understand that. It's not, uh, it hasn't hurt my feelings. We will bring the children back out in a little while, and uh, we'll have them celebrate some more. There are so many of you, just so you know, that we had to split uh, it into two gatherings. So half of you are in the first gathering, and then half, half of the, uh, our Seven Seas family are in the second gathering. So we just want to uh, welcome you as well. Do me a favor and let me welcome all of you guys who are online as well. You're not here this morning. We're so glad that you're connecting with us online as well. If you're new to us and you haven't been with us for the last several months, we're in knee-deep in a series through the book of 1 Samuel. It's kind of our rhythm. We pick a book, we teach through it. And so we're gonna jump into that today. It's amazing. It's been an exhilarating ride. It's more applicable than you could ever imagine uh, that we can get from ancient texts to, to how it would uh, you know, maybe even affect us today. And today's gonna be no different. And so we're gonna dive into that and then get us back to our kids in short order. I wanna start this morning with the story of a young man, a young man who's been through a whole lot in his life. Uh, had a rocky childhood. Uh, his father was diagnosed with terminal, a terminal disease when he was still an infant in his infant years. Years later, when he would go to high school, uh, one day after water polo practice, being 14 years old at this point, after his father had already plast, he came home to find his mom on the couch. Two broken arms, broken fingers and splints, three baked potato-sized open wounds in his head, on, on her head. She confirmed that she was in the hospital all night after being a victim of a violent crime. Some suspected that maybe it was a gang, gang initiation kind of activity where you prove yourself by pulverizing an innocent individual to earn street cred. Now, in a single parent family, finding itself in utter despair at the brink of bankruptcy. Young man's mother wasn't able to work for six months. Do you know what it feels like to be at the brink of utter despair? Do you know what it feels like to be at the bottom of the bottom? Have you ever felt that place where there's nowhere to turn? Well, this young man had a choice to make. It was either turn towards God or be pissed at the world. Uh, it's either... Um, Trust God or terrorize everybody else around you because of the circumstances in your life. Do I trust God and what he's doing in my life and, and trust that he has ideas and purposes 
to allow this activity in my life or do I terrorize every individual that I'm ever associated with in hatred for what this world has given me as a bad poker hand? Trust or terrorize? Have you ever been there? Thankfully, instead of going the terrorize route, he chose the trust route. He ended up finishing high school, went to college, went to graduate school, and eventually became the lead pastor at Camrill Community Church. Where he would devote his life to helping others trust God in the midst of all the difficulty that they're going through where he would exhort others to trust God, even at the lowest of the low. Try to remember, you can trust him. He knows what he's doing, even in situations where you cannot see what he could possibly be doing. Many of you know my story, and I bet many more of you can feel my story if you didn't know it before this morning. You can feel the desperation and anguish inside. In fact, many of you are going through desperate things right now. One of the things about being a pastor is we know of the situations. We know the fallouts. We know when the divorce papers have been presented. We know when they're signed. We know when there is an affair. We know when somebody's not been faithful. We know when children go sideways and do things and, and act in, in ways that you never thought they were capable of acting. We know all these things, and we walk people through these things. And I know right now there's situations where people feel like they're at the bottom of the bottom, the low of the low as I'm dealing with them, some from afar and some I'm deeply involved with. Today we're gonna to take a deep dive into what God might be trying to teach us through periods of desperation. How should we respond when the strategies we employ fail us? And, and, and where do we go with our families and our livelihoods when that happens? Where do we turn when we tried it all and there's nowhere else to look? And who will take care of you and your family in the process? Is there an additional strategy that will never fail? And is there a no-fail solution for you, your family, and your livelihood? The answer is yes, and we're going to see that in 1 Samuel chapter 21. I'd love for you to open your Bibles. We have a little tradition around here. If you brought your Bible or you have your phone and you're going to use it, would you hold it up in the air right now and show? Yes, you're committed to it. Yeah, we're going to commit ourselves to the Word of God and let it saturate over our lives. So to go to 1 Samuel chapter 21, we're going to look at the last five verses of, of chapter 21 and then the first five verses of chapter 22 in, in our, in our uh, you know, endeavor to just continue verse by verse and word by word through the text. And so we're in 1 Samuel chapter 21, starting in verse 10 together. The overarching question is, what can times of extreme desperation teach us? Is there really a lesson in this? What can times of extreme, the low of the low, the bottom of the bottom, what can those times teach us? Well, the first thing it can teach us is that we, can, that we must trust God when our strategies fail. We must trust God when, whenever, whatever, however I'm maneuvering in this, when that fails, I gotta still trust him. I gotta be faithful to trust him, knowing that he will be faithful to me in the end, even though I can't see right now, all I see is a, a, a fog that seems like it's five feet in front of me. I can see nothing else out there. I'm gonna trust God that he knows what he's doing, trust him even when my strategies fail. Before we get into the text, I want to remind you, because we've taken a couple weeks off, and some of you are new to us, we're, we're in the direct context of David spiraling. He's spiraling, and he's hitting the bottom of the bottom. 
Uh, he is only 20 years old. He's on the run from his life for his life. King Saul wants to kill him for all the things that he's done for him. All he's done is represent him well and honor the king, and King Saul wants him done because he's scared of the influence that might rise up with him. He doesn't want to be dethroned himself, and so he's after David, and David's on the run. He's had to leave the king's court, and he's so much on the run that he stopped by like uh, uh, the house of priests and asked for the sacred bread. I'm so hungry, we're starving. Can you give us the, 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 the bread that's meant for the priest? I need some so I don't die. That's how desperate he is. And now it's going to take his desperation a step further. He's going to take Goliath's swords with him, the sword that he used to cut off Goliath's head, and he's going to go back to the Philistine encampments, this Philistine territory, the territory of the enemy, and seek asylum there. Whoa. I'm so in a bad way that I'm leaving my people going to the enemy and seeing if I can find asylum with them after I just killed their greatest warrior. That's the place where he's at. And we're asking the question, what can times of extreme desperation teach us? Well, it teaches us that we must trust God when our strategy fails us. Let's go to verse uh, 10 in chapter 21. It says this, and David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Gath was a, Phil a, a Philistine territory. Uh, and the servants of Achish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to, the, to one another of him in dances? Saul struck down thousands and David has struck down tens of thousands. And David took these words to heart and he was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and, and let his spittle run down his beard. And then Achish this, said to his servants, behold, see this man is mad. Why have you brought me him to me? Do I lack madmen that you brought this fellow to behave this way as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? The obvious answer to these rhetorical questions like, no, why'd you bring him? What can, what, what can times of extreme desperation teach us? Well, we need to continue to trust God when our strategy fails us. What, what's happening here is David's saying, you know what, I'm in a bad way. I'm on the run from Saul, my own people. He wants to kill me. I'm gonna take the priestly bread. I'm gonna eat that and I'm gonna run. Where do I go? I know what I'll do. I'll go to the enemy's side and say, hey, we have a common enemy. Uh, when enemies of each other have a common enemy, maybe they can be friends is the idea. I'll go to them. Would you give me asylum since we have a common enemy in Saul? And his thought process is hoping that maybe they would value him being on them because they have a common enemy, because he was, it comes with a pretty particularly amazing resume as a warrior, took out your greatest, most capable fighter. Maybe if he could work as some kind of a mercenary for the opposition, they would give him asylum in their area and he would be safe. Saul's not gonna bring a whole army, and I gosh, if he wanted to come get me now, he'd have to go through the Philistines. That's a big, hairy nightmare. Maybe I could be safe finding asylum with the enemy. That's how far David is in his desperation. Now, he wasn't flipping allegiances. There's no way. We'll see that throughout the book. But the Philistines don't know that. 
And maybe they could, maybe you could find out a way to survive during this time until God finally takes care of Saul. You might remember that David had an opportunity to take Saul out, but he didn't do it. In fact, you'll have another opportunity in the book of 1 Samuel, and he won't take it. He wants to honor the king, even though the king is trying to kill him. So he's not flipping allegiances. He just says, maybe I can contract out to be a mercenary. David's background, his reputation, his resume could be very beneficial. He's a renowned warrior. And, and, and there could be in the back of the Philistine mindset, well, if David comes and we accept him and he works for us and, you know, he's a mercenary and he's successful in that, that could expand our land. Not only that, if the day comes when David is supposed to be king, because they knew of the ditty, they knew of the songs they were singing, you know, Saul has killed thousands, but David's killed tens of thousands. And so, and so they knew that there was something special about this guy. Maybe when God installs him as king over Israel, he could be our puppet king if we side with David. So it's like almost like espionage, like espionage movies, like double spies kind of thing. That's just kind of what's going on here. And he's trying to see if he can leverage the other side, the enemy, to get some of his safety. Well, that backfires in his face. The Philistines know the legend of David. They know he's destined to be king. And they basically call, they basically call baloney sauce on this whole story. Um, and and, and uh, they're basically, no, 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 no. No, we, we don't buy that. You're coming here with, with, with a sword that killed Goliath to take us out. And David starts realizing, oh my gosh, this is not working. It's not going to plan. My strategy is being flipped upside down. They look like they're about to kill me now. And in response to that, he thinks quick on his feet and he literally pleads insanity. He literally pretends like he's insane. It, it would be as he was foaming at the mouth, as it were, right in front of them all. Saliva at the mouth was a culturally unacceptable thing. Only a madman would allow such a thing. No one in their right mind would allow themselves to be seen this way. It's quite the opposite of the visual picture of being anointed as king to have spittle on your beard. Very culturally, not for us today as much, but very culturally sensitive thing. It, 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 would, it would mark him as an insane individual. In addition to that, he would put markings on doors, the gate, nonsensical graffiti, even cultic symbols. And it works. The king refuses David as his mercenary, as we see in verse 15. Do I like madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave like this in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? He's not saying, can he visit in my home? He's saying, should I hire this guy really as my mercenary? <laughs> really, I don't think so. He's, mad. He's a madman. So David switches strategies because he thinks they're out to get him, and it works. The king refuses him, doesn't allow him into his house, so to speak, as far as... Um, being one of his agents. Interestingly enough, he will uh, change his mind on that. And later in 1 Samuel, he will, David will become a mercenary of King Achish. We'll see that in, in chapter 27 as we keep on going. But he also doesn't bother to kill him. I'm not going to refuse you. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to get asylum here. You're not going to be able to work for safety here. But I'm also not going to kill you. 
And the reason is, remember, I'm not going to kill you. Even though you took out Goliath and you're standing right here and I could get back at you for that, I'm not going to do that. And the reason is because in ancient times, somebody who was insane would be exempt from harm lest the gods be provoked. In ancient times, if you were insane, it was thought that the gods had possessed you. And so if you, uh, uh, you know, take um, retribution on that individual, the thought was the God that's possessing him will now come after you. And so this strategy here of, saying, of acting insane actually benefited David a ton because it got him out of that situation in a way that they wouldn't kill him. He still has got to find a way to fend for himself. Still got to find refuge somewhere, but at least they didn't kill him. Well, David runs towards the enemy territory. In an attempt to survive, that strategy blows up in his face. He pleads insanity. What can times of extreme desperation teach us is what we're looking at. First, they teach us that we must trust God when our strategies fail. And now we're going to look at number two. We must trust God with our family and our livelihood. Now, remember, he's on the run. And we're going to find out that his family's on the run too. What does it teach us? It teaches we got to trust God. Like whatever you're going through, trust God with your family, trust him with your livelihood. You trust him when everything else isn't working out the way you thought it would work out. And I thought I was navigating right and I was doing everything I knew to do and it's not working out. Trust God. You got to trust him in those times. I want you to look at this in verses one through five. Watch as I read. It says this, David departed from there and he escaped to the cave of Adelam. So he's at a cave. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there with him as well. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became a commander over them. And there were him and about 400 men. This is David and his mighty men. This will grow to about 600. Later we'll see in the story as we keep on going. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the the king of Moab, please let my father and mother stay with you. Knew there were two elderly to follow where he was going. Uh, So let them stay with you until I know what God will do for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. And then the prophet Gad said to David, do not remain in the stronghold, depart and go to the land of Judah. Super important. You might circle that, highlight that, underline that. Do not remain in the stronghold. Don't remain in Philistine territory. Depart and go to the land of Judah. This is back to the land of your people. And so David departed and went into the forest of Herath. Let's stop there. What can times of extreme desperation teach us? Well, we must trust God with our family and our livelihood. Remember, he's on the run for his life. You can trust me for your life, your family, and your livelihood. I can take care of you. So there's a rendezvous in a cave. And basically, when his family finds out that he's in a cave, they all rush up there with him. And they go into hiding together, and the family are on the run too because they're concerned that Saul might take vengeance on them because of their family association with David. So David's not the only one on the run, but what if Saul goes after the family? So the family's on the run too. They meet up with David in this cave, hoping to find safety there with him. Not only them, but there's a whole bunch of disenfranchised nomads who are looking for a leader who also find David in this cave. 
Uh, his family is in, 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 in fear of imprisonment or death at the hands of Saul because of the association they run with him. And then there's these social outcasts who are looking for a representation, looking for a leader, maybe somebody who they could form a coup with, and they go out to kind of link up with David as well. These are literally discontented folks. These are misfits, malcontents, nomads. Uh, the Bible describes them as having bitterness of soul. They are already mad at the institution, the government, at Saul, whatever. We'll go side with David. Maybe he'll lead us in war and we can take Saul out, is the idea. Well, as they rendezvous together in this cave, David realized that his mother and father are not safe with them. And so he goes to Moab, which now Moab is a, gen, is a Gentile area. It's not a Jewish area. And, and he thinks that the king Moab would be kind enough to provide safety and refuge for his parents. Can you imagine why that would be the case? Why would the king of Moab care about David and this whole issue he has with Saul? Ruth, very good. Have you guys read the book of Ruth? Uh, Ruth, very, 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 very interesting and compelling uh, book in the Old Testament, the book of Ruth, which is about this woman named Ruth. She was a Moabitess. Beautiful story. I would, one of the heroes of the Old Testament. If you go to Matthew chapter one, you will see the genealogy of Jesus, which David uh, is his Grandy, granddaddy, 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 granddaddy. And before David is his grandmother, Ruth. It's very interesting uh, in Matthew that there are five ladies in, listed in the genealogy of Jesus, which is the genealogy of David. And five ladies are listed. It's very, very rare that you would ever list a woman in a genealogy in ancient, ancient texts. But Matthew does write it, and he writes that Ruth is David's great-grandmother. And so David, knowing that he has some Moabiteness in his family line, takes his parents and goes to the king Moab, hey, would you feel an obligation to protect my parents in the midst of this while I'm trying to figure this out? Of course, King Moab, the king of Moab decides to do just that. And David says, okay, my family's taken care of. I got my parents up there. The rest of my family's with me. I got all these nomads. Now we're ready for whatever God has for us. Now, finally, the very end, David follows the will of God through the words of the prophets to return to Judah. Now, this is really, really interesting because you remember he's on the run. He's going to the Philistine area. That's how bad it is. He's going to the enemy to try to find refuge and asylum. And here a prophet of God is saying, no, you don't need to be in enemy territory. You need to come back to your homeland. Whether he was going back to the northern ter territory of Israel or the southern territory of Israel, it would be dangerous for him. And here the prophet is saying, no, you go back. You go back and you trust God that he'll protect you. And what does David do? He goes back. And he trusts that God will protect him. It's extremely significant. He's fleeing Saul as public enemy number one. He's on the most wanted list in Israel. He's going back in harm's way, and he does it anyway because he trusts the word of God on the matter. He trusts that the prophet Gad told him he trusts that God will protect him. Now, this brings us to our big idea, which is something we do every week, and we put it on the screen, kind of a summation of everything that we got going on here. And that is this, that fear and desperation can act as a fire alarm of sorts 
which leads you to your rescue. When you're at the bottom of the bottom, sometimes that can bring about something that's like an alarm setting off inside of you that actually leads you to your rescue. When you're at the low of the low, all of a sudden I'm turning back to God, and then that can be the notion that brings about my rescue. And so even when you're thinking, this is the worst thing that happened in my life, it may be like situationally the worst thing that happened in your life. But if you allow God to come and, and turn your heart back to him, rather than to hatred of everything that's going on in the world around you and your circumstances, it can actually be the very thing that leads to your rescue, your, your internal disposition towards the whole situation. It's in fear and desperation that David flees the enemy. Maybe I can be a mercenary. Maybe, uh, maybe if I'm surrounded by the enemy, maybe that's the best protection that I can have against Saul. It's in fear and desperation this blew up in his face when his enemy turns on him. He becomes a madman. He acts insane. And finally, it's in fear and desperation that he follows the will of God and returns back to the land where it was dangerous for him because Saul could kill him at any point. Saul has jurisdiction there. And it's this fear and desperation that finally gets him to trust God and go back. And that would lead to his rescue. Fear and desperation, the lowest of the low, can be the fire alarm which leads you to your rescue. Why? Because your rescue is in the fact that you're now trusting God instead of trusting yourself. It's when you go, you know, I, I can do nothing here. I got nowhere else to go. I've done all that I can do. I guess I'll just have to trust you. That's when you're at the perfect place. Sometimes we have to get to the bottom of the bottom before we can ever see that. I want to show you what this, how this works out in our lives. I found this in a little online publication this week, and it's a little story about a little boy, and I want to read it to you because I think it's pretty meaningful. It says this, David, a two-year-old with leukemia, was taken by his mother, Deborah, to the Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston to see Dr. John Truman, who specializes in treating children with cancer and various blood diseases. Dr. Truman's prognosis was devastating. He has a 50-50 chance. Countless clinic visits, the blood test, the intravenous drugs, the fear and pain, the mother's ordeal of having to watch their child Stand by, unable to bear the pain herself. That might have been harder than everything else. But David never cried in the waiting room. Although his friends in the clinic had to hurt him and stick needles in him, he hustled ahead of his mother with a smile, sure of the welcome that he always got. When he was three, David had to have a spinal tap a painful procedure at any age. It was explained to him that because he was sick, Dr. Truman had to do something to make him feel better. His mom, Deborah, would tell him, if it hurts, remember it's because he loves you. The procedure was horrendous. Took three nurses to hold David still while he yelled and sobbed and struggled. And when it was almost over, tiny boy, soaked in sweat and tears, looked up at the doctor and gasped, thank you, Dr. Truman. 
Thank you for my hurting. If it hurts, remember it's because he loves you. Have you do you have the ability to trust God even when you're in the midst of pain? Can you trust God even when you're getting stuck with a needle? Do you have the ability to say, I'm going to continue to trust God in the midst of the falling out right now? And I know I'm talking to specific people in this room and in our church because I know the stories. Can you trust God even down there where you don't see the answers and you don't see the solutions and the strategies you've tried have not worked out? Can you go back to the land of Judah and trust that he'll protect you? Do you have the ability to trust God even through the pain? Trust that he knows what he's doing. Trust that he still has your best in mind in the end. Trust that if it hurts, it's only because he loves you. Trust that his sovereign plan is never too early and it's never, ever late. Trust, 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 and trust some more. See, fear and desperation can act as the alarm, the fire alarm that leads you to your rescue because it brings you at a place where you just look up and say, I've got to trust you. I've got to trust you. You see, your rescue is in your ability to trust when you trust him. However the situation turns out, you will be rescued. Trust him. Man, I know of some situations I'm thinking right now, would you just trust him? Close your eyes and just commit, I'm gonna trust you through this. I'm gonna trust you when I can't see where you're at. I'm gonna trust you. I wanna do something before we jump back to our kids. And I hope you get that picture that you're hoping to get today and loving on beautiful our beautiful children. But King David, once he goes through all this craziness, almost had like a diary. And it's rare that we can see what he would write about a situation after everything transpires. Well, in Psalm chapter 34, he writes about this situation, about going to the king and acting crazy. And, and when he was at the bottom of his despair, having to go find asylum with the enemy. He writes in his diary how he views it after everything transpires. And I want to read it to you. And, and if you're here and you want to follow me, you can go to uh, Psalm chapter 34. It won't be on the screen. And if you're here, you don't have a Bible. I just want to, let me read it over you and just close your eyes and just listen to this. Listen to the man as he talks through this whole idea. Chapter 34 of Psalm says this, of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, Abimelech was the proper royal name of King Achish, who that was his personal name. So David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. This is what David says. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let him let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name forever. Why? For I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. 
Those who look on him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and he saved him from all his trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The the young lion suffers or suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and, and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on those who are righteous and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who, are, who do evil and cut off and he cuts off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them from all troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He keeps, their, he keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. That's messianic in nature. Afflictions will say, slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will become condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will ever be condemned. That's what he says afterwards after being at the bottom of the bottom and turning back to God and trusting him, and then after having the privilege of seeing how the before, the before, the middle, and the after, he goes, hey, trust him. Let me tell everybody, trust him. You can trust him. He'll come through for you. He'll come through for you. He'll come through for you. Trust. Bow your heads with me as we pray. Father, we know it's one thing to take a look at your word and preach it and even emphatically say these things. And it's another thing to be in the midst of it and to feel like you're at the bottom and trying to look up on which way forward. And, and I've navigated, nothing's worked out. My strategies are failing. Everything's falling down. You really want me to go back in that direction? The direction of humility, really? How's that going to work? And why hasn't it worked so far? And yet your word says, can you trust me? Can you, will you trust my word? See that I come through for you. Maybe not in ways that you thought of. Maybe not the way you planned it out. But see that I will come through for you. And then one day, maybe you can write in your diary, how the Lord comes through for his people. We ask you would see it in our lives and you give us the ability to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. My name is Kenny Kibble. I'm the executive pastor. I just want to say if you're a guest with us today and uh, you're hearing all this about trusting the Lord and you never put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you could do so today. Uh, God really wants to forgive you. He wants to have this friendship and relationship with you. Um, and call you his child. I mean, that just can start with a simple of acknowledgement of, of who he is, believing that Jesus is who he said he was, believing that his death on the cross was sufficient to pay for the price for the penalty for your sin, and that you can be forgiven through putting your trust in him. Simple as saying yes to Jesus, so you want that in your life. If God's 
drawing you, if you feel like it's your day where it's time to surrender the Lord, um, I would just ask that at the conclusion of this service, you go to the welcome counter in the lobby on the left-hand side. There's people there who'd be ready to answer any questions you may have. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we want to give you one. And um, we just want to be part of this journey towards Christ with you. And the same goes if you're joining us online. Go to campcc.net, click on Next Steps, fill out the little form, and we'll get back to you this week. All right. Uh, we're going to receive our offering. Uh, it's one of the ways we worship the Lord. I just want to say that if you're a guest with us today, we do not expect you to participate in this. This is just one of the ways that those who call this their home worship the Lord through giving. And there's three ways to participate, as you can see on the screen. Um, in fact, if you're a guest, we have a gift for you. Um, and if this is your first time joining us, you'll see in a video that's going to play in a minute uh, that we have a gift for you. So check out that video in a second. Um, and before we show that video, I just want to remind you that at the conclusion of the service, if your child is up here singing, you will pick them up uh, when the service is over from the stage, um, not back in the classroom. All right. So let's check out this video, what's coming up next at CAMCC. Hi CAMCC, I'm Marianne DePuma and I help SERP in our high school ministry that meets Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. If today is your first time with us, we're glad you're here. If it's your second time, I'm so glad you're back. If you're a first time guest, we have a $5 Starbucks gift card for you. Fill out our connection card and take it to the welcome counter in the lobby or scan this QR code in the phone's camera and let us know you filled it out digitally. Include your prayer request on that card as well. If this is your second visit, let us know at the counter and you'll get a $10 gift card to In-N-Out Burger. We will also invite you to our all-you-can-eat dessert with our pastors, elders, and staff. Online viewers, go to camcc.net slash next steps to go through the guest process. It's the Christmas season. I love Christmas. There are plenty of events for the whole family coming up. So start spreading the word, invite your friends, coworkers, and neighbors to join you. Sunday, December 17th, come get your picture with Santa. He will be here. Sunday, December 24th, Christmas Eve gatherings, 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. These will be identical gatherings. Sweet treats, candles, carols, family photos in front of the tree, and just 60 minutes. Childcare is offered for birth to pre-K, as well as our rooms for nursing mothers and toddler room that allows you to view the gathering. Remember, Christmas is a time when the people in your life are receptive to an invitation to come to church. Grab some of these invites in the lobby and see who God places in your path. January 7th, Growth Group Signups. If you are looking for a way to connect with other people at CAMCC in a smaller scale for just eight weeks, this is an amazing way to do life together. Email lisa at camcc.net for more info. To stay in the loop of what's going on at CAMCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to camcc.net. Oh, we'll see.
Hello, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. If you are just joining us, I want to welcome you guys um, for the first time. I want to welcome you guys. Uh, I'm one of the, pa- again, I'm one of the pastors here. We have an incredible, incredible worship team behind me. Dave, you gave a killer message, but I think this was the highlight for me. So give it up again for them. I'm going to be short and sweet today, but if you guys need prayer, we will have prayer up in the front. Um, But other than that, parents, you are free to grab your kids. Kids, you are dismissed to go find your parents. We have coffee and donuts outside, and we hope you guys join us next week. Santa Claus will be here. Have a great week. We love you guys. See you later.